0: Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. This is Journeys with Jen. I'm Jennifer Griego. Today we have Christy Titus on with me and my mom and dad are here. Um, Christy is on the board of directors for the NRA. She has her own YouTube channel, uh, Pursue the Wild, her show. And she has her own line of jewelry and alcohols and things like that. She's a very, very good friend of mine and I love her so dearly. Hey Christy, what's up?
1: Oh, I love you too. I'm so glad to be a part of your podcast, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be one of your first guests, I think.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, so Chrissy, I was just wondering, like, how did you get into hunting and like everything you do in the outdoors?
1: That is a great question, Jennifer. I There's not a moment where it was pivotal in my life of, oh, I'm going to start hunting or getting in the outdoors. It's literally... A part of who I am and all I really know. So, from the time I was two years old, I've been packing into the backcountry with my parents on our mules. And hunting and conservation is just something that I grew up with, and, and it's, you know, part of my life.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So, when you were packing with the mules, like what were you doing with your family?
1: So, I was really fortunate. My parents weren't. They never took us to Disneyland or anything, and at the time, I was a little begrudging because I sometimes felt like other kids got to go to Disneyland and I didn't, and I kind of felt like I was missing out on something. But instead, my family chose to spend our weekends and our free time. We would take our mules and we would pack into different uh, mountains and lakes, and we would fish, and I would catch frogs and uh, just enjoy an open fire my mom would make us breakfast in the morning and that's just how we spent our free time unwinding and that's really what we did for you know our family vacation free time and and I still haven't been to Disneyland actually but I'm pretty okay with it now That's <laughs> right. I
0: haven't either only Disney hey. World once so I'm in the same boat with you um so you obviously went hunting and um like in the backcountry I know you also worked with Cabela's like how did that start?
1: So I've worked with Cabela's for a long time and that relationship was kind of a slow evolution through meeting people throughout the industry. So I always caution people, especially young people, that you always want to be kind and respectful to everybody that you meet because you never know when you're leaving an impression upon someone. And at some point at somewhere, uh, throughout my um, pursuits in the outdoors, um, and the work I was doing philanthropic philanthropically through conservation groups, I met some individuals that were working with Cabela's and I didn't know it at the time, but apparently I'd made an impression upon them that they, Uh, decided that they wanted to bring me into the company as an ambassador, a brand ambassador. And so um, it was very interesting for me in the beginning of my career because I never approached any company to sponsor me. So I never went out and asked. I was very fortunate that every company that I that I work with, even to this day has approached me and, um, has seen, you know, the work that I've done philanthropically, what I've done as a leader in the outdoor and hunting industry. And and they have approached me over the years and Cabela's I've been with them for nearly 10 years now, and it's still a strong and flourishing relationship. And it's great now because we also have Bass Pro involved, which, you know, really makes a significant impact across the country.
0: Oh yeah, that's awesome. So you were just kind of doing your own thing and then you got approached by Cabela's?
1: Yeah, I, so how it started for me is, you know, obviously as a child I grew up hunting and in my early 20s um, I was a little like you, very ambitious and very outgoing and I started volunteering for conservation groups like Safari Club, like Rock Milk Foundation and I started doing local events and that led me to ultimately being the president of an SCI chapter, and I went to Washington D.C. and lobbied, and then I kind of separated a little bit from SCI and, and went towards leaning towards working with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation a little bit more in depth, um, and that relationship turned into me working with them on their television show Team Elk, which I worked with them for seven years on that, um, and I still have a great partnership with them, and so. Um, the Cabela's relationship was kind of a part of a growing um, presence, I would say, in the outdoor industry.
0: Oh yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so obviously, you did not plan on anything becoming what it has now.
1: Absolutely not. It's the good Lord.
0: Yes, for sure. He works in crazy, crazy ways. Yes. So now you have your own show, Pursue the Wild. Did you plan on like how did you end up starting that?
1: So I worked with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation on their show, and they decided at one point that they were going to start their own digital network, which is called Elk Network. And at that point, um, the network hadn't even launched. It was just a concept. And my marketing manager approached me, and he said, you know, Elk Foundation's leaning towards moving away from mainstream television, outdoor television, We're we're looking at creating some digital content. And this would be a tremendous opportunity for you to create your own digital content. Because as you know, as I love elk hunting, and that's one of my favorite things to do, I also like all types of mountain hunting and Western big game hunting. Mm-hmm. And so it. Um, was an opportunity for me to, to, to produce content that showed and demonstrated lots of different outdoor pursuits. And so I um, set forth and created a pilot and I went to shot show with a pilot and a name. Um, and obviously I'd had relationships with individuals in the industry and um, I sold the concept to my show on a digital platform, which this year I'll be filming season three but at the time, there really was no one doing digital TV and treating it like a network.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, all of my partners invested in me based off of my reputation alone.
0: Oh, yeah, that's that's so awesome. And then from there, did you spread out? I know you have your elk calling thing and your jewelry, your jewelry line and a bunch of other things from there. Did you just kind of like start your show, work with Cabela's and just spread everything out from there?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy how things happen. You just sometimes don't plan them. Um, I was working with a woman, and we had kind of helped Cabela's launch some cowboy boots. And that was a successful program for a number of years. And um, we'd had some conversations about how great it would be to do a jewelry line. And ironically enough, um, the Elk Foundation... CEO at the time was friends with a gentleman that worked for a jewelry company, and um, the, which is Montana Silversmiths, and they do a lot of the belt buckles for Elk Foundation, and so I ended up meeting the people from Montana Silversmiths through that relationship, and I approached them um, with the concept of my jewelry line, and I had garnered the support of Cabela's with the concept of my jewelry line and Montana Silversmiths made it a reality and brought it to market and now you know not only am i in cabela's online um, but i'm in a total of i think 400 stores across the country
0: dang that is that is amazing i have my mom and i both have a couple of your necklaces and i love them i love wearing them and especially because like not a lot of people especially my friends not being hunters don't wear anything like that so it's really fun to be able to go out and wear jewelry like with antlers on them and stuff like that i think it's really cool
1: what I really wanted to create with the jewelry Jennifer was something that would have an heirloom quality. So mm-hmm. if you take for example, a little girl and you know how important this is a little girl that goes with her dad and they go on their first hunt or they have something that's meaningful or profound that has happened with them. I wanted the daddy to be able to give his daughter something that she could have that would last her lifetime. So or a husband to a wife or a friend to somebody else or however that story is told I wanted it to be of keepsake quality so I do everything with solid sterling silver so it's going to look as nice today as it will when you're 50 years old or you know I would want it to be something that you can pass down and when you see it it reminds you of an experience
0: oh that's amazing I never knew you started it with that that's so awesome
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom used to wear Montana Silversmith's jewelry when she would dress up and go to Elk Foundation banquets. And I always remember, And you know, my mom wore that jewelry and they've been around for over 50 years. And I couldn't have thought of a better company to partner with on the idea.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And so you also have all your elk calls out. And I um, obviously Jay Scott and I are very close friends. And he, I was telling him about doing this podcast with you. And he was talking about how much of a great elk caller you are. And he like, judged the competition one time, and you did amazing, so, like, what, I know you, I've seen your elk calls, and I've seen, obviously, I follow you on Instagram, and I've seen things like that, how did that come up, and how, how have you, like, learned through that?
1: So, elk calling is like learning a musical instrument, mm-hmm. um, but for me, learning to elk call, I'm so, you know, if you, as you know, elk hunting is such an intoxicating experience, yes. when you hear elk bugle, when you see them, they're just truly a majestic animal. Mm-hmm. And learning to actually talk to them and have them come in to you and being able to communicate and feel what they're saying is really powerful. And, and I started elk calling in my 20s. Um, I heard my first or my dad actually called in the first bull I ever saw get called in when I was as young as 13 years old in Idaho. And it was really incredible. He called this bull into under 50 yards, and we were rifle hunting, and he harvested this beautiful bull. And at the time, I was wide-eyed and thought it was going to run us over. <laughs> um, it was it was life-changing. And so uh, I started really mastering elk sounds and the elk language, and I you know listened to a lot of people that had a tremendous amount of time in the woods with elk. And then I started spending a lot of time in the woods with elk. And I worked with Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls, founder Rocky Jacobson, who's the founder of the pallet plate diaphragm call to create a call because um, I struggle a little bit with some of the standard pallets. My, my mouth is a little more narrow mm-hmm. and so I could use the other elk calls, but I had to cant them sideways in my mouth and it was just a little funky. So we created my calls so they'd be really easy for someone with a smaller palate, or a woman or a child to pick up and use and make some really great sounds for both cows and bulls.
0: Oh, that's amazing. So do you do a lot of your stuff? Obviously, as a woman in the hunting industry and everything, a lot of the things are tailored towards men. So have you done a lot to help bring the women into the hunting community?
1: Yeah, you know, and I think women want to be treated as equals. Mm. I don't want to be given an easy ride or a pass because I'm a chick. Um, I want the same level of ruggedness from my gear Um, and I want the same level of performance and have the same expectations that a man would. And so there is some companies I think out there that are a little condescending to women that have that shrink it and pink it philosophy, which I've avoided those companies. And I work with the ones that truly want to make high quality performance gear that happens to fit smaller people. And sometimes smaller people are men and sometimes smaller people are women. And um, so I'm not necessarily the hoorah fist pounding all for women because there's a lot of small guys out there that can benefit yeah, and want to use the same gear.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean, small guys, you know.
1: I don't <laughs> so whatever.
0: <laughs> hey, <laughs> But yeah, I mean obviously I'm a small person in general. I kinda, you know, got you, the jeans from my dad. You and your mom
1: are so tiny. Yes,
0: we're both very tiny. And my dad, you know, I got the jeans for it. So it was kinda hard for me to find camo that fit me. I always got like hand me downs from my brothers and so finding camo that fit me and I didn't have to alter a bunch was also kind of a challenge, but I did find some that did help. And it was it was kinda like growing up small. I was like, Oh my gosh, it actually fits me. It was kind of, it was crazy, like, to find those companies that made that. And also, um, my mom can definitely relate to finding clothes because when we went on the hunt with you in Oregon, she left her suitcase in the airport, so she had to get all her clothes from you. And I'm
3: so grateful to you, Christy. I was like, oh my gosh, well, the story on that is we had, um, you were so kind to include Jennifer on... The hunt with Coco, the children of Circumstance Outdoors, and um, for Jennifer having the opportunity to go on a hunt with Brian Murphy and Tyler Saunders and you, it was just such a wonderful experience for Jennifer, but also for me, because a lot of those hunts, most of those hunts, Bob goes with Jennifer, and so he was on another hunt, so that left with me to go on jennifer's hunt and i told her you're on your own i said the only thing i'm doing is bringing your medications and make sure you get all that done and christy will take care of everything on the hunting end so we had three big bags packed up ready to go one was her medicine suitcase the other two were closed and so going to the airport i had jennifer go ahead of me go get in line at the tsa pre-check area and i was packing or just checking in our bags and just, uh, unfortunately, just did not count, and I left one of the bags behind me in line. Didn't realize it until we were boarding, and I was praying to God that it was not the medicine bag, because the trip would be canceled, because there was no way she could go a day without the medication. So I was grateful to know that if the medicine bag made it on the plane. But my suitcase with all my clothes, uh, hunting clothes, was did not. So I'm like, Christy, please help me. And you suited me suited me up perfectly, and I was so grateful for that. So
1: well, and it was such a long hunt that. It <laughs> past,
3: Ryan, yeah, Jenna has this great habit of getting her hunt done on the first day, and God blesses her and just says, "This hunting is uh, a little gift to you, Jen." So it's it's this <laughs> luck has carried her on for a while.
1: You know that that trip was really remarkable and. The, the people that were involved are tremendous people that I absolutely love and adore. And, and I'm really grateful, Carol, that you got to go as well because, yeah. you know, in, in your testimony on that episode, which you guys can watch on the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation's YouTube channel, if you Google Jennifer, um, that is the title of the episode and it comes up. Um, you know, you talk about you know, seeing Jennifer actually get out and do it. Cause you hear about it often and you see po- photos of it, mm-hmm. but it was just really profound for me to watch you through a mother's eyes, mm-hmm. the worry that you usually go through and, and actually to, you know, to watch you watch Jennifer.
3: Mm-hmm. It was
1: very profound for me as a, a spectator of that, you know?
3: Well, I was surprised at my reaction too, because, you know, Bob's always on the hunt with me and either with one of the kids or not, and for me, I was able to really be a witness to her in her element because now her dad wasn't there. She's going to have to really, you know, be here on her own. I wasn't going to be the voice in her ear, and she knew that she was going to, and she wanted to obviously do well for you, Christy, and for Brian and, and for Tyler, and she was grateful to be on that trip. And, and she took that pressure so well, but it was me just watching her, ahead of me realizing that my worry doesn't belong on this trip i just have to back off let her do her thing and i was so proud of her and i was it's just such a wonderful experience as a mom to just let your kid grow up and do the things that she wants to do and she, and she flourished uh, whether she got the elk or not wasn't the point it was that and she when she did she got more emotional than she ever has up until that point which again i got to witness and it was like because she knew that she was really on her own it wasn't her dad right there with her, holding her hand yeah. figuratively, so it was a really really nice, um, wonderful experience for us as a mom and,
1: and a kid. for the record, I still think of Jennifer as a 12-year-old Yeah, I <laughs> know she was when I met her, yeah. and um, so I really had a hard time what, 17? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. like, how did this happen? <laughs> I know, <laughs> we all say that.
0: Yeah, it's crazy and that, yeah, that trip was a blast and just I wish I wish it had been a little longer but oh yeah that hunt it yeah like my mom said it was different because I wasn't with my dad that was virtually the only hunt without my dad and so it was awesome to have you there with me Christy because you were kind of like you were there with me you were like all right Jen let's do this we're going over here and it was it was awesome to be able to hunt with you in that environment and everything and then have you on my shoulders telling me and like kind of being my dad for me in a sense and just hunting with you it was such such a blast and I definitely enjoyed that hunt so much and it I did get very emotional when I end up getting my elk um, which I usually don't do but it was just such an experience to do without my dad and have you there with me and my mom
1: well it was absolutely our pleasure everybody and it took us a while to put that one together but we found the right mix of opportunity and time frame and, and made it happen and and, uh, and it was really exciting about your sheep, your uh, Fannin Ram this year.
0: Oh, yeah, that was awesome.
1: Because I was in the Northwest Territories and had just harvested my doll sheep. And I'm sitting in a restaurant in Norman Wells, which is, you can only get to Norman Wells from a barge
2: mm-hmm. or an
1: airplane. It's landlocked. And I get this text from your dad about your success, and I'm sitting at the table and I'm telling one of the other hunters from camp your story mm-hmm. and you literally walk over behind me and grab me and you're like, did someone say my name? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I remember. It just goes to show you how small this world really is.
0: Yeah, that was that was such a blast and I didn't even know you were there and um, coming back after Jay Scott was telling us he was with you on the plane on the way to the hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was saying he got to talk to you and everything and how, how great it was <laughs> to talk to you. And it was just so awesome seeing you, especially after you and I both got our Rams and I completed my slam and you got your Ram and telling stories and being able to exchange stories like that. It was such a blast. And walking around Norman Wells, like in the middle of the night and broad daylight because it doesn't get dark and it was just so much fun.
1: It was a lot of fun going and ice cream and yeah. just sharing the joys of, of the episode of the, well, for me producing an episode, but for the whole adventure and, and knowing that you're, you know, contributing to your own episode mm-hmm. and you're creating your own te- television presence and telling your story. And I think that's really, really profound what you're doing. You're reaching people, not only that are young adults, but people that are overcoming a lot in their lives Mm -hmm. and challenges and, and you have such a strong mindset, um, that is conveyed every time you speak, Jennifer, and it's just incredible and very inspirational to everyone who's afforded the opportunity to have you in their life, either digitally through TV or, you know, personally through, you know, getting to share mountain. And so, uh, you know, I can't thank you enough and, and for your family, for, you know, providing that opportunity for you to spread your word and your mindset and your heart.
0: Yes. Thank you. I'm I'm very, very thankful for everything that has come together throughout my journey and allowed me to even inspire other people throughout what I've been able to do. And I'm so, so grateful for everything that's happened through that.
1: So what's your favorite sheep to hunt? There's four. <laughs> oh so, gosh. I mean, I'm dying to know because I've only got the one.
0: Um, well, they all have their own individual experiences for sure. But, and I did get both my um, doll and my fan in the same place. So they're kind of, they kind of blend together. But I I loved the in the middle of nowhere Northwest Territory sheep. That was my, both of them were my favorite for sure. Because Mm -hmm. it was just the trek to get there, um, the training for each hunt, and just the experiences are unlike any other hunt. And I loved them so much. And just being in the middle of nowhere and having to work hard to get there was just an amazing experience.
1: Oh, I know you guys sure made traveling back to the States a lot more fun. Yes, for sure. (laughs) I made a lot of jokes on social media on my Instagram stories about us packing light.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we had so much stuff.
1: (laughs) So much luggage. It was crazy.
0: Yes, but it was a ton of fun.
1: It was a lot of fun.
0: Yes, and so obviously, um, do you do a lot of work with, like, youth hunters and stuff I've seen on your Instagram. So, do you, um... Just like you take a lot of kids out on hunts and things like that. So can you just tell me a little bit about that?
1: So I I try to take kids hunting every year. I try to promote women that are doing extraordinary things. So a lot of times if I have a guide, I like to have female guides because Mm -hmm. I really want to show how capable women are. Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of times we get lost behind, we're hunting with our dad or some people are hunting with boyfriends or husbands that I think it's really powerful to demonstrate what women really can do just girls. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like to also showcase that with kids. Um, so I, I try to take kids out. Some kids I take out don't have, Fathers, you know, I, I try to focus on giving back to kids that are Gold Star kids, which are kids that their fathers have died either in combat or as a result of inju- injuries sustained in combat.
0: Yeah, that's so awesome.
1: Well, they're just, you know, sometimes their moms, you know, want to keep the kids hunting and perhaps they didn't mm-hmm. hunt before and want to get them out there doing it. And so I try to do that. And then I have lots of great groups that I work with. So, like this summer, for example, I'm going to work with a group called Raise Them Outdoors, and they'll have about 80 kids at a camp, and they'll learn archery, they'll learn 22 rim fire, they're going to do some long-range shooting, they're going to do some fishing, elk calling, fire starting, and like just a bunch of outdoor skills where they camp over the weekend, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And then I do a women's camp in Indiana every year, I think this will be my fifth or sixth year doing that camp, and we take about a 100 women, sometimes it's only 80, um, and teach them um, rifle, pistol, and shotgun shooting skills, as well as gun cleaning and some concealed carry concepts, and um, that's been a really successful program every year as well, and then I'm also working with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation this summer to create what's called a women for wildlife event. And my sister and I are organizing that event to kind of support women that are also conservationists and give us our own night um, to support and and also have some fellowship of other like-minded women. So, you know, every year I try to be as impactful as I can. And um, obviously you can't do everything, but I I actively work on that. I'm on the uh, NRAU shooting sports committee as well and the hunting wildlife conservation committee um so you know the biggest thing for us to be successful is to invite somebody along Mm -hmm. you know if if we want to be successful in teaching how hunting is conservation then the first thing we have to do is involve a kid or a woman that perhaps doesn't come from a background or a family of hunters
0: yeah well thank you so much for doing all that that is amazing
1: there's another camp that I teach at in the summer called the Northwest Ladies Hunting Camp. And there's two camps in Oregon and then one in Utah. And if there's new ladies that are out there that want to learn outdoor skills, um, I would invite you guys to register for that. The, the second Oregon camp is is filling quickly. The first one sold out immediately and Gosh. then we launched a second camp. So if there's ladies out there that are wanting to learn some more outdoor shooting sports and hunting Uh, related skills go to you know google northwest ladies hunting camp and that's a pretty um, wonderful group as well
0: oh that's so awesome yeah that's great definitely look into that um i know obviously like being i'm a part of um outdoor experience for all which helps kids with life-threatening illnesses get outdoors and do things like that and so growing up in the outdoors and meeting people who didn't and then have gotten out there it it's crazy how much of an impact that makes on someone's life. Being able to be taken outdoors and go on hunts or just enjoy the nature of it is so amazing. And so obviously, you helping with all that is so so awesome.
3: It's so important well, today, especially because of the kids doing you know so much social media, video games. The opportunity to be outdoors is just not focused today. So it's a great thing.
1: Yeah, the couch potatoism. It's it's yeah. it's, it's it's real. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So obviously you mentioned helping, um, helping people learn to shoot and do shooting camps and concealed carries and things like that. And so, um, you do a lot of competitive shooting, right?
1: Yes. I started shooting competitively last year. Um, well the year before last I did mm-hmm. one match, but I did about six matches last year and, um, I'm getting ready to shoot my first match of the year. Actually I fly out on Thursday this week. So I'm pretty excited about that.
0: Oh, awesome. So like, um obviously I've never done competitive shooting and I've had um Patrick Scrog and he's helped me go out and shoot a rifle he um a gun rifle and he helped me learn to shoot that but what goes into competitive shooting cuz I know it's a lot
1: Well you know what started for me wanting to be a competitive shooter is I wasn't trying to be a competitive shooter <laughs> mm-hmm. Um I wanted to be a better and more effective and ethical hunter And for me, um, my level of limitations was pretty, pretty short. Um, and I found myself in some hunting situations that I wasn't ethically comfortable taking shots. And, um, I decided that for me as a big game hunter, it was the best thing. That I could do for the animals that I was pursuing was to be a more effective marksman, mm. um, because obviously, being a hunter, I want to give the animals that I'm pursuing um, the this sounds odd, but the best death that I can.
0: Yeah, um, no, yeah, that makes total
1: sense. Yeah, I want to be. I mean, I really respect these animals, and I absolutely love them. I mean. They, the animals mean so much. And so for me, it was, how can I give them the most respect? And that would be to be very proficient with my firearm. Mm -hmm. And so I started training so that I could, could, I could be better on the mountain and be a better, more effective hunter. And that over the course of about six years evolved into be, you know, competing now at the national level.
0: Oh, that's awesome! So, um, for the competitions are like once a year, every couple months. Like, how does that work?
1: Well, so I shoot precision rifles, which mm-hmm. means that there's varying targets at varying distances. But it's often kind of considered a long range game, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, and so, there's a couple different um, competition series. There's the precision rifle series, and there's the National Rifle League. Both of them offer matches, and there's almost a match. Well, I wouldn't say every weekend, but there's a lot of different matches, and and they kind of start up early in the spring, and then they end their final matches in November with the finale in December. Um, And so, you know, you can register for as many as you want. In order to receive a national standing, you have to shoot three matches in each league if you want to be competitive in each league. So they take your top three scores and average them out and that's how they figure their national standing on who is the top shooter in the country based on that specific league.
0: Oh, that's super cool. And are the competitions like locally and are they like one certain place or are they kind of all around the country?
1: They're all over the country and the fun thing about these matches is they're all different and so you typically it's like an obstacle course with a firearm. So you have Mm -hmm. a time limit, you have a round count limit, and sometimes you're engaging targets at varying distances. For example, you know, your first target might be at 400, your second target at 560, and your next target at 880, and there might be one at 1,200. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it might be that it's one target you're engaging, but you have to build multiple shooting positions. And so there's lots of what they call stages, Mm -hmm. And, um, it really helps you in the field as a hunter because the only thing to really try to replicate the enthusiasm or, or adrenaline dump that you're getting from hunting big game is a, is a timer. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. put a timer on yourself when you're shooting and you instantly get more nervous, your adrenaline dumps. Um, and they do sometimes add some physical component into the matches as well and so it really helps you train and try to replicate as best as you can what you're going to experience on a big game hunt you learn how to handle your nerves you learn how to handle um, and control your respirations your heartbeat and it helps you cognitively when you're on an animal then you create what I call or what's called unconscious competence. Mm-hmm. You unconsciously move through these steps to where you do things and you don't have to think or or stress mentally about how am I going to make this shot? How am I going to set this up? You do it without thinking and it becomes second nature.
0: Yeah, for sure. That I've kind of learned that over the years. Sometimes I'll shoot and I'll be like, did I do anything? Because I know when I practice, I'm like, okay, you do certain steps and you go through them and then I shoot. I'm like... That was a blur. Like, I don't even know what just happened, but I'm pretty sure I did everything that I've been practicing.
1: Yeah, you tend to forget um, Mm -hmm. when you get really excited like that. It's easy to forget things. Actually, some people become incoherent. You'll tell them, okay the elk is at 330 yards and they act like they hear you and then after they shoot they are be like "Why well, didn't even know how far it was and you're like well I just told you how far mm-hmm. oh, that's <laughs> but so funny. they get so excited they lose that cognitive response to actually process what you're saying
0: oh crazy and so for the shooting competitions do you always use the same rifle like what rifles and like what caliber do you usually use <laughs>
1: So the key in these competitions, and you'll hear a lot of guys that are like wanting to shoot these big Magnum caliber rifles. And for what I do, it's lighter recoil is always better. Mm-hmm. So the smaller the caliber, as far as recoil, typically the better you shoot. Um, so I shoot what's called a six millimeter Creedmoor. It's very similar to two forty three. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you want is you want to be able to watch the entire flight path of your bullet as it travels through the air and to your target. Mm -hmm. So ideally your rifle recoils and you're back through that recoil process and looking through the scope and you can actually watch that bullet prior to impact, fly through the air and then actually see it impact your intended target. Because the information that you get from watching that impact will let you know if you want to re-engage the target at that same hold, or if you need to make minor adjustments for wind Mm -hmm. um, and or elevation.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's super cool. Um, sorry, go ahead.
1: Which helps you when you're hunting also. So if you have to do a follow-up shot, you know, if you can train yourself to shoot like that, you know, for example, if you take a shot on a Ram and you see the shot impact, you know, okay, I saw that bullet hit. That is a terminal shot. We're fine. Mm -hmm. Versus, oh boy, I saw that hit and I definitely need to get another shot and we need to get up here and make a follow-up shot, which might require you to move. Or hopefully you learn, um, you know, the ability, perhaps if you have the position, that you can stay and not even have to move. You can just cycle around and, and re-engage the, the animal without breaking position and moving. And so again, it goes back to being um, as competent and as ethical as you can when when you are hunting.
0: Yes, for sure. And so, like, when you're training for, like, even hunts and things like that, um, obviously, like, on your Instagram, you post a lot about this. Do you work out a lot and prepare for them?
1: Like, physically? Yes. Yes. So, um, and I'm finding, you know, as I age, I have to work a little harder. But Mm -hmm. definitely, fitness is huge. I mean, you know, just hearing your testimony of what working out has done for you and your health, Mm-hmm. um, has, has been tremendous. But for me, I mean, it's the same thing. If I don't work out and exercise, it really limits the output that we can put on the mountain and maximizing our potential is going to mean we have more than one climb up a mountain to get to a sheep. Cause sometimes the first climb, as you know, doesn't always work. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you have to have three or four climbs. And, and I always ask people, you know, before they go on a sheep hunt, you know, how many climbs do you have in you? And if they're like, what do you mean how many climbs? It's like, well, how many times do you think you can climb 2,000 vertical feet with 60 pounds on your back? Or 50 pounds on your back? And if your answer is none, then you should probably train a little harder mm-hmm. and, and postpone your trip. But that's how you have to think about these hunts because they're not always successful with one with one attempt. And, and you have to evaluate how many climbs you have because when you have a 10-day hunt, that could mean 10 Consecutive days of climbing, which you need to be in the physical shape to prepare your mind and body for that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I know for my uh, my sheep hunts in the Northwest Territories, I would train for about six months before I went on those hunts, and I would just practice at our cabin in Northern Arizona at about eleven thousand feet elevation and just practice hiking and hiking in those.
1: Yeah, you, what you and your dad were doing, and you you increase your lung function by what ten percent.
0: Yes, yeah. It was crazy.
1: Just from exercise, which is incredible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was insane how much it went up. And it was like 10% one year and then 10% the next.
1: Yeah, it goes to show you how healing, not only emotionally, but physically, the mountain can be.
0: Yeah, and then also I was on some new medications that helped in the end too. But it was that training which helped significantly. Also, you like I mentioned earlier, and... Like, congratulations to this, but you were on the NRA board, and that is so awesome. I remember you talking about that a while ago. So, like, how did that come up? Because I remember you telling us about it earlier.
1: So that's um, interesting. I have worked with the National Rifle Association um, because of me being philanthropic, a a lot like what you do, Jennifer. It just, you know, you start with an altruistic heart, and you want to help, Mm -hmm. and I believe in our freedom. And I believe in supporting organizations that fight for our freedom. And so I started working with NRA and volunteering um, and being a part of their annual convention. And then I ended up going on and I hosted a documentary series for them called I Am Forever, which we took a group of women backpacking and talked about the mindsets of success and how hard work really is the key to being successful. And, and we took some ladies through the backcountry and filmed that. And then I posted tips and tactics for them where I taught. It's a part of NRA Women TV, and I taught tips and tactics for firearms there. Um, and, you know, the, there's a nominating committee that the NRA goes through, and, and they try to have a relatively, and this is my opinion, diverse board of directors that mm-hmm. um, would represent American can, American members, you know, who are our members? How are they represented? How is their voice being carried to executive leadership? And really for me as a board member, I am the ears that are on the ground at, at lots of events. Anybody can come up and talk to me and say, look, I'm concerned about our second amendment. These are my concerns. Can you share my voice? Mm-hmm. And that's really what I feel like for me is I try to be the voice of the hunter. Um, I try really hard to teach how hunting is conservation and how hunters and the legal transfer of firearms, um, do really positive things for conservation and not all, you know, not all gun purchases are bad the way a lot of media will like to lead on, um, the legal purchases are legal and and illegal is illegal. And so Mm -hmm. I really try to fight for, for the people that are legal firearms owners and especially you know, with me being a hunter, legal hunters, you Mm -hmm. know, how are we going to get our voice out there and carried, um, to help ensure that we have the opportunity to carry firearms and hunt?
0: Yeah. Well, you do a crazy amount there, Christy. I mean, do you ever sleep? (laughs) Yeah.
1: I'm very rarely home, but, um, it's, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I've chosen this life. I have chosen not to have children and, And this is, you know, what I feel has been uh, anointed to my heart. And, um, you know, we all have our purpose and our things that we do. And and for me, this is it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And obviously, I have loved hanging out with you and spending time with you and learning so, so much from you. Do you have any like advice or anything for young people or women like trying to climb up the business ladder and just like get themselves out there?
1: So I think, um, in, in anything with social media, especially, um, we have to be, you know, obviously very aware Mm
2: -hmm. of how
1: we represent ourselves and, um, especially young people like you to really be mindful of the content that you put out there because it's forever.
0: Yes, for sure. Um,
1: So good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, as we've seen in some political doings, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are looking back to high school yearbooks mm-hmm. to try to discredit individuals that maybe have had long service of being a respectful adult and maybe they drank beer in high school irresponsibly or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so just be very aware of what you do. Your actions truly become who you are and they are who you are and, and what you portray on social media is as a, as a part of who you are and that stuff doesn't ever go away. And, um, so I always caution people, you know, be very careful. And, um, even as an adult, you know, for me, um, I'm mindful of that. And, and it's just something that we have to be very aware of. And I would say, you know, to young people that obviously following the rules and laws, are very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, bending them is never going to benefit you. Um, and, um, so that, that's also very important and, you know, being kind and giving service. I think, um, for me, it's been a belief of mine for my entire, you know, adult life, especially that, um, we should be stewards first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So if we're also hunters, we're also stewards and, you know we are here to leave this earth a better place than we found it, and I think it's important that all of us find a group that we can associate our core values with, that we volunteer our time, effort, energy, and talents because we all have some unique talents um, that serve a greater purpose other than ourselves.
0: Yeah, for sure, and it's it is scary how even the smallest thing you can say. 20 years ago can come back to bite you now and for sure growing up on social media it obviously I am careful about what I post but sometimes you just don't notice what you're posting and all of a sudden you're like oh and then it's up there forever so it is definitely a scary thing and people have to be very very careful about it.
1: My biggest thing, like, even for me at trade shows, nothing good happens after midnight.
0: I was going to ask you about that, yeah.
1: That's my lifelong rule. Um, Nothing good happens after midnight. I don't care where you are. You need to go home at midnight. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And and, and as a mom, Christy,
3: I've used that for my kids at home, and I think thank you for that. Because every time I say it, I'm like, that's what Christy says, and she's absolutely 100% right. Mm -hmm. It is
1: absolutely true. And, I mean we can all go and have fun at events and do things and be social because so much of, you know, like our banquets and things like that, they're so fun and there's so many wonderful things going on. But after midnight, sometimes it's just better to go home. Yes. <laughs> and especially when you're in high school, like mm-hmm. go home <laughs> at midnight. Your mom and dad have a curfew for a very good reason. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes, true. For Thank
0: sure. you for
3: that, yes. Chrissy. You're right.
0: Yeah. And, um, also I, I was just curious, like what are your thoughts about the me too movement that has been going on?
1: You know, I'm not a bandwagon jump on mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of people that they need to stand on their own and not just be a me too and, mm-hmm. and be an, I am instead. Um, and focus on how much power you have as a woman and how much opportunity you have as a woman. Um, because right now in our country, I am a woman and I have more opportunity than any woman in this world has ever had or in the history of the world has ever had. We have more freedom. We can earn the same money as men. We can do the same things as men. We are respected at the same level as men. And we are women, women. And I think that's way more powerful than me too.
0: Yeah, for sure. You are such an inspiration. Oh, my gosh. Talking to you has been so, so great. And obviously, I spent a lot of time with you. But just every time you talk and every time I talk to you, you just blow my mind. You are so awesome. And I can't even put into words how lucky I am to have you as a friend and how thankful I am. You are such an amazing person.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And thank you for – I think it's great what you're doing and being the leader because that's what we need. We need – especially women, strong women that are good examples and good leaders and lead with style and grace and class and are passionate and have conviction and inspire and empower. And you are all those things. You're just, A little younger than me a lot like I could be your mom it's totally
0: fine (laughs) okay well great thank you so much for everything just talking to you has been so great and I've learned a ton for sure thank you for taking us on your journey it's been so so great and I cannot wait to see you again it's been so much so much fun talking to you
1: I know we need to plan a hunt. What are we, we doing? Do. I mean, this is ridiculous. The <laughs> Maybe we can get your mom to hunt. I don't know. Carol, what do you think? I don't know.
3: I'm just going to sit there and watch you guys because you guys are <laughs> both amazing. I can only aspire to do what you guys do.
0: And thank you guys for joining this podcast and joining the journey with me, me and Christy.
2: Wow, what an inspirational woman.
0: Seriously, I mean, you I've hung out with her multiple times, and it's just, she's so humble about everything she does. You would never, like, know talking to her she does all of that. And she's just such a down-to-earth, so generous to everyone.
2: I know. She's been a great friend of you. She's been very supportive. It took you guys several years to get that, that elk hunt organized, and when she finally got it put together, it was just a tremendous experience for you. But when you listen to everything she's doing for mm. women in hunting, for kids with health challenges, Uh, for the Gold Star kids and people that don't know that. Those are children uh, of of veterans that have been lost in combat. And she's taking those kids out and getting them in the outdoors.
0: On the board of directors for the NRA. As a woman,
2: that's a big deal to be on that.
0: Chrissy writes a bunch of articles for the Western Hunter magazine. She's also a fitness expert and uses a lot of the Wilderness athlete supplements, which I use as well. They are amazing. I use them all the time on my northern hunts. They helped me so much, and I love their products. She has her own show, has her own line of jewelry, a line of elk calls, competitive shooter, like all of those things. She
2: is she is amazing, and what a great role model. She really um, puts out some great messages and. Very grateful to have her as a friend. People can learn a lot from her. Hopefully, people will follow her on Instagram and on Facebook and her TV show. She is spectacular. Very impressed. And you know, it's so important for people that don't understand hunting and they don't—they think that it's all about killing animals. It really is a very small part of it. You listen to somebody like Christy, who is so inspiring for the the generosity and values that she espouses and puts out there. That is such a common theme. We've seen so many time from people mm-hmm. in the outdoors that are hunters and fishermen that are concerned about conservation and, and time with their family out in the outdoors. She's a great ambassador for that.
0: Yeah, it's great to see people. A lot of people don't view hunters as the best people because they view us as killing animals. And a lot of people you meet that are so generous and down to earth are the ones who are hunters and are spend their time in the outdoors and their life just seeing nature and God's creations.
2: Absolutely. And we'll have other podcasts on the values of hunting, but it's important for people to understand that you know we eat the eat the meat from the animals we harvest it's the best meat it's organic non-gmo no antibiotics no hormones great nutrition it's certainly great for you jennifer mm-hmm. with cf and um some great time in the outdoors
0: yeah and just talking to chrissy about everything hunting and everything that she does was so amazing And as someone who is always so busy, she's always hunting and always off doing something somewhere else. So I'm so grateful that she took the time to talk to me and take us on her journey because life is short and so am I. And I'm just trying to make the most out of every day and I hope you guys do too. I hope you all have a great journey and make it an epic one.